Have you ever had it happen while you're reading the Bible that uh, some detail stands out to you that you don't understand? You're like, I don't, I don't know what that means. But then you uh, do some study, you dig into it a little bit, and you under, come to understand it, and suddenly it opens up like a whole new meaning to that passage. That happened to me, especially as I was reading our first reading today. We hear about uh, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which has been degraded. But then Isaiah prophesies, instead they will be glorified. They will receive light and salvation. And then the last words of the passage are, as on the day of Midian. I was like, what happened with Midian? I don't remember that part at all. So I went back and, you know, read up on on Midian, and uh, when I did that, I began to see a pattern. So here's how it goes. Midian refers to a time uh, early on in Israel's history, living in the Promised Land, uh, when the Midianites were oppressing them. They would come every year with their army when it was time for the harvest, and they'd steal all their food. And so God raised up Gideon as a judge to save his people from the Midianites. Uh, but the, the way that God saved them was not just like they went to war and won. It wasn't a very miraculous way. Gideon did raise an army of several thousand men, but then God sent most of them away and only left him with 300 men. And with these 300 men, he at night surrounded the camp of the Midianites and all the men had trumpets And they all had uh, torches, lit torches that they'd hid under big pots. And so at the signal, they all uh, blew their trumpets, smashed the pots, and revealed their torches. And the Midianites were thrown into such a panic that they ended up killing each other. Israel won without ever having to uh, lift a finger. So that was, of course, a very miraculous kind of victory and a miraculous kind of salvation that God brought them. Now, how does that compare with what is going on with Zebulun and Naphtali? Zebulun and Naphtali, of course, are the the northernmost of the tribes in the kingdom of Israel. When the prophet Isaiah says that they have been degraded, he is speaking about the Babylonian captivity. Right When the Assyrians and the Babylonians come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali get the, the full force of it. They're the first ones to be caught. And again, they're just not, not just that they're defeated. The majority of their people are taken and spread throughout the Babylonian empire. And then other peoples are put there in their place. So it becomes, Zebulun and Naphtali become this place of like a mixture of religions and races, and they'd hardly even feel like they're part of the Jewish people anymore. To say nothing of the Jewish kingdom, of course, which has been utterly destroyed. So that's, that's the state of Zebulun and Naphtali, right? It's in a sense much worse than what happened with the Midianites, because they're not just being oppressed. They have been, in a very real way, completely destroyed and conquered. And yet, Isaiah, as Isaiah prophesies, they receive an even greater kind of salvation. Because what happens? As we hear in the gospel, Jesus begins to preach the kingdom there in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. In that place where the kingdom had been utterly destroyed, where everything had been taken from them, now a new and a greater kingdom 
is being given to them. They receive, as Isaiah sees, an abundance, not of earthly things, but of even greater things, of spiritual realities. So you see how it gets even bigger and better. The the desolation is worse, but the salvation is greater. And because I was seeing that pattern then with Midian and then with Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, I couldn't help but see again that same pattern repeated in our own day. Because I think there is a real sense in our own country today in which we have experienced an even greater degradation and desolation than Zebulon and Naphtali. They were destroyed from enemies without. But today, in our country, we are destroying ourselves from within because of abortion. We are killing our very own children. These uh, six roses here before the ambo represent six million children who have died in our country through legalized abortion. And so you see how that is in a real sense worse. We're in a worse position. Mother Teresa used to say a uh, country that kills its children is a country without hope. It may seem that we are without hope sometimes in this great fight against abortion. But for just the same reason that this is worse, that this is a kind of worse situation to be in, I firmly believe that the salvation that Jesus can bring about in our country will be equally greater. Equally, not, it won't, of course, be the conversion of the pagans or the Jews. That's what happened the first time. Perhaps, dare one hope, it will be the conversion of the church. The conversion of the Christians is really setting the church today on fire as Jesus really intended to be. I mean, I don't know that. That's just my, uh, my guess. But I believe that Jesus can bring even greater salvation, even greater glory here in our country by overthrowing abortion than he did by uh, giving the kind of new kingdom to his people originally. But I want to end by saying this. I believe that this will not happen until all Christians get themselves together on this issue and on other issues, you know. In our second reading today, St. Paul talks about how even in his day, even in the very beginning of the church, there were these divisions between Christians. Uh, He says, you know, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into Paul or Apollos? No. Jesus Christ has got to be the center of everything. We have just finished yesterday an entire week of prayer that we do every year for unity among Christians. And I really believe that until we as Christians get ourselves together on these issues and just in general, Jesus is not going to bring about this kind of salvation, this dramatic reversal uh, in our country. And I think we need to work in two ways on Christian unity. First, in a negative way. That is to say, uh, when other Christian churches take positions that are clearly against what Jesus and the apostles teach. You know, it's one thing when you're, you got a neighbor down the road who's a little bit of an extremist or a crackpot, and he's got some theory about how the Bible works, and, you know, it's all the fault of the Jews, or it's all the fault of the black people, or something like that, right? Okay, this person is just kind of crazy. But when you have actual Christian churches that are changing their doctrine to say, we accept abortion, we accept 
you know, same-sex activity in marriage. We accept divorce. These are things that are good. It is up to us, all other Christian churches, to stand up against that, to, as it were, excommunicate those churches and say, this is wrong. This is bringing division to the body of Christ. Of course, in one sense, that's up to the leaders of all our different Christian churches. But it is also up to you, because you've got to pose the question to those Christians who've accepted those kind of ideas and say, why? Why does your church accept that something that's so obviously against Scripture? But it's also got to have, of course, a positive element. We, as Christians, have got to come together to work together, to stand for life together, to, to help the world, to really make clear Jesus Christ. We have such a great relationship here in our area with uh, both of the Lutheran churches, Hopeful and Hebron Lutheran, with Burlington Baptist, with uh, the little Methodist church over here that's always changing its name. I can never keep it straight. Um, But, you know, we have a great relationship with those churches in the area. We should continue to work on that and really work and pray for the day when we as Christians can be one. Because, again, I firmly believe that until that happens, Jesus will not bring an end to abortion in our country and will not reverse and bring this great glory, this great salvation that he wishes to our country. So, until that happens, you know, we got to continue to come each Sunday each day, you know, here before the Lord, who is the Lord and giver of life, who gives us the bread of life. And pray. Pray for unity. Pray for the protection of all human life, so that uh, when he brings us that unity, we can receive also that great glory and that great salvation from this great sin of abortion. Like it was for Zebulun and Naphtali, like it was on the day of Midian.